Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you have moderate to high stress, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wrecks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings. Now, the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. If your life is a bit stressful and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle get 15 percent off and free shipping at takelean.com and enter victor15 that's promo code victor15 at takelean.com takelean.com statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration this product is not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease and is not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor is a scholar and commentator on political and military affairs. His scholarly work was done in classics, and he is, above all else, I think, a philologist. So welcome to our show. If you're new, you can find Victor also at victorhanson.com. It's called The Blade of Perseus, and all of Victor's writings go there, and his um, writings that go nowhere else are the VDH Ultra articles, and you need a subscription for that at $5 a month or $50 a year. So come join us. Uh, you can join us for free and get on our mailing list for his newsletter, which is, you know, four times a week or so, and it's the recent articles and things that are on the news site. So come join us. Well, Victor- Hey, wait, 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 wait. Sammy, you said- Did I say a news site? I didn't mean to. No, no, that's fine. You said four times or so. I take pride in that in the paywall, every day there's a column, right? Yes. American Greatness and the Tribune syndicated column. But then rather than doing four new people, I try to do three, but I do 800 words usually. So we're trying to give them anywhere from two to 3,000 words of new content every day. Yes. And I, I mean, every week. Every week, yeah. So I was thinking that in the two years that we have done it, um, at 52 weeks times 3,000, we have, we've given our, our ultra readers 300,000 words of new content or three books yeah. worth. I know that's kind of a frightening thought because that's too much yeah. logoria, but, uh, yeah. that was part of the bargain we made with our readers that, and I haven't missed, uh, by the way, I haven't missed one week yet. So every single week there's been, uh, anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000 words of new content. Wonderful. And so everybody come join us. And then we do these podcasts, too. So you can find Victor at both places. Um, Victor, we have a lot on the agenda. I know you just got back from your trip to Israel, Greece and Turkey. And we're going to talk about that. But if we could address the 4th of July and some of the irreverence for the 4th of July, or as you wrote in your article, what the 4th of July is not, we're going to do that first. So stay with us and we'll be right back. 
can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, They've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. Welcome back. Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. So, Victor, uh, we just passed the 4th of July, and you and I haven't had a chance to talk about the 4th of July, but I did notice a lot of things in the presses about a second American revolution and the right to revolution. But I know that you also wrote your own article on what the 4th of July was not. You write a conclusion in this article that says, so on this 4th of 4th, let's let us cherish the 4th of July for what it, it promised and what it thankfully did not. And I was wondering if you could comment on that right now. Well, there had been a lot of people in the recent years in general, in particular this year. And I, I should say that I've been a, abroad for 21 days, so I literally just got home. And I'm not up on the actual 4th of July experience this year, other than reading about it from Greece and the, and the, the Mediterranean. But it, there's this idea that the American Revolution guaranteed equity or equality of result, result on the back end, our fraternity. And I guess that's by extension, this notion that the French Revolution that was, you know, well over 12 years later 
was was completely different in its aims and its agendas and its methodology. They were the one that said liberté, égalité, égalité, fraternité, fraternity. This idea that it was going to be liberty, no problem with that. That's a Roman idea. And by the way, there is a difference between liberty and freedom. Freedom is the ability to do as you please in a natural landscape. It's natural to persons. Liberty is more the protections of the individual within a state or a social context. German, and that's why they're, 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 they have different roots. You know, we always go back to philology and liberty comes from libertas, the, the Roman Republican idea. And freedom comes from Freiheit, a German idea. And, you know, when the Tacitus, when he wrote his Germania or Caesar, when he wrote his Gallic Wars, Romans remarked on the fact that tribal Germans in large landscapes did as they pleased. Mm -hmm. Yeah. American Indians had a type of freedom, but it's a very different thing than freedom within the context of a social organism, congestion, conflicting agendas and opinions. So we have no problem with liberty, but our Constitution said, never said we were going to be egalitarian. They said they were going to give people, everybody was, the, the Declaration said we were born equal. All men are created equal created equal, not die equal. And the second thing, of course, is fraternity. There was no idea that we were going to have a, some kind of group think or social union or a huge rotary club or a huge church. or, or There was no inf government interest in doing that. And so that to do that, and why wasn't there? Because to make people equal on the back end are egalitarian by coercion requires a degree of government that the founders were afraid of. And they thought, you know what, there's some things that we don't have the power to do. And if we were to do create a new man, then we'd be in trouble. So I know they had Noah or a Noah Ordus Ordo uh, Secularum, a new order, Nobis Ordus Secularum, a new order of the centuries. And Anuit Coeptus, the that's, that, these are from, from Latin, and that's from Virgil's uh, Eclogue. But he smiles on our undertakings. So we had this idea there was something new, but we did not have a year zero. 1776 was 1776. It was not year zero, like the Jacobin Revolution in France that said, you know what, 1789 is year zero. Or it might have been 1792. It was a year zero. We didn't say that everything was obsolete until we came along. Yeah. And there was no, you know, that 1789 that the UN kind of patterned after the Declaration uh, uh, of the Rights of Man. I guess that had a lot of what Rousseauian influence, Voltaire. Yes. Yeah. Was that was a very different idea, and they had words like social distinctions in proportion to their means, disturbing the public order. We didn't get into any of that, not at all. So. You know, the idea of the declaration was these are the grievances we have, and we declare ourselves equal as God created us, and we're free. And then we have the Constitution that outlined uh, what our rights were protected, and any rights that were not uh, clearly, clearly defined or delineated were given to the states or for other, but they were not. You, the idea was that you had rights other than what was given in the Constitution, and there was no obligation 
each into their to their own means. That that came later in the United States, maybe with the income progressive income tax or stuff like that. But yes, we, we were very modest, and you know. If you look at the Constitution that followed the Declaration on the Fourth, it was the logical culmination of the Cretan Constitution as it transmogrified into the Roman Constitution as it went through the Enlightenment and with Montesquieu. That is a legislative body checked by an executive that checked the legislative with an independent court system. And you had that in Sparta with the Gerousia and the Ecclesia and the Ephors and the two kings as executives. Same thing in Rome. But we didn't. And that led to a natural, given the electoral college, pretty soon it transmogrified into a pretty clear system that each body of government could check the other. And they did through either impeachment or elections, or vetoes, or overriding vetoes, or nullifying treaties, except cutting off funds, uh, etc. But more importantly, it led to regular elections. And that's in the Constitution. It specifies every four yeah. years. And we had a two-party system. So what we avoided we don't have this multi-party parliamentary system that most most consensual governments do have. But think about it. You to get power, it's not that you are going to get 51% or you're going to get 51% of the votes in particular states. You you have to have a majority of votes in the parliament. And that means that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the popular vote. You make deal backroom deals with 10, 20 different parties. And then they quit or they put you over a barrel and say, if you don't do this, our eight members of our our eight party coalition is going to leave. So I don't know what Italy's had since 1945 with their new government, but I think they've had over two dozen governments. And you you can see Margaret Thatcher was never the, the people of Britain never said that they didn't want Margaret Thatcher. She came into a room one day and John Major, they had an internal coup and threw her out. But that was the conservatives that did that. That wasn't the British people. They just said, you're no longer the head of the conservative party and therefore we're in power and therefore you're no longer prime minister. So what I'm getting at is that we were pretty lucky of what the founders wrote on the 4th of July. It was mostly Jefferson, but uh, and we're very lucky that that led into the Constitution. And it did not lead, I think, it was good that it did not lead to a parliamentary democracy or a holistic, we're going to create a new man in the way that the French Revolution tried. Anytime yeah. you hear that word, year zero, new man, be careful, because they're going to yeah. kill, kill a lot of people. Yeah. All right. Well, Victor, um, in addition to that, since we're talking about our government, um, they recently found cocaine in the White House. And I know that John, uh, Tom Cotton was pre- pressing the Secret Service for information on that because, of course, it's a, a big security concern. And the press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, has been avoiding any specific discussion of it, not surprisingly. But it, this sounds like a new Hunter Biden rabbit <laughs> hole, but I'm not really dead sure about that. Well, I mean, conservatives and the media had a good point. It was kind of half serious, but not completely non-serious, comical. It is. I think their logic went something like this. 
Hunter Biden now moves into White House de facto. Cocaine found almost immediately after his new digs. <laughs> there, pressed the ergo, therefore it's his. We don't know whether it was his, but the problem with the story is all they have to do is tell the truth. So we learned at first that it might have been uh, in an area that was restricted or it was in an area that was restricted to staff and there was pretty careful security. And so we don't they didn't quite they said it was in a cubby hole or something like this. And then later, when people thought, hmm, if it's really if it's in an area that staff and some staff got by, how could they get by dog sniffing German shepherds or Secret Service? Oh, it must have been somebody that they just waved through. And who would that be? Well, it would be either the vice president's family or the president, supposedly. And therefore, they have to come out and say it was not Joe Biden or Hunter. But of course, when they asked that, the press secretary said, we can't do this. It's the Hatch Act. I've never heard a Democrat say it's the Hatch Act, which just says that a government employee cannot comment on a political question. I don't yeah. think that's a political question. I mean, whether the president of the United States knows how somebody brought cocaine into his residence. I mean, I have a house, right? Yes. And I have oh. people come in if somebody comes in and he leaves and I find a bag of Coke on the dining room table. I don't think it's political to say, what the hell? How did that happen? <laughs> and I would have a pretty good idea maybe who brought it in, given I would just examine the people who'd been around. But so they change the story is what I'm stumbling around with jet lag to say. They change the story. Now they say it was in a more public place. They got the narrative down and we know what the left does. The next cycle or iteration. How dare you suggest that? Hunter Biden is that that's just that's just beneath us. We're not. That's what they're going to do. <laughs> Well, poor old Hunter's going to be blamed whether he did it or not. <laughs> hey, he's an artist. He just gave a painting and got out of child support with one of his Da Vinci or Michelangelo masterpieces. He is an artist, but that's not his art, Victor. <laughs> I don't know. Remember that line in Man on Fire, you know? <laughs> yeah, his art has something to do with drugs, sex, rock and roll, I think. This is, this is his, if you were going to take the line that, my favorite actor, Denzel Washington, uh, was said about Denzel Washington and Man on Fire. You would say something like this. Hunter Biden is a master F up. He, <laughs> You cannot imagine how he could screw up with drugs and prostitutes and money. And bringing Coke into the White House was his greatest masterpiece. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, again, we have to we have to confess we don't know who we don't know. Brought we, it we don't know. We don't know. We're not going to rush to judgment. <laughs> yeah, we're not. All right. Um, so let's go ahead and look at your trip. Then you went to Israel, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about. Did you notice anything that um, would have? forewarned of the Jenin attacks that we yes, recently I did. seen. Yes, I yeah. did. We went to Israel. Uh, it was a, I'm giving a plug, I suppose, for Hillsdale, which I am happy to do. It was a Hillsdale long trip, 17 days. I, I From the time I left my Selma farm door till I got back, I think it was, I was gone 19 days. But uh, we went to Istanbul. We'll talk about Turkey, if you wish, and then to Israel and then to the Greek, some of the Greek Dodecanese Islands, and then, of course, Cyprus, and then uh, Santorini and Crete. 
and Athens. And I read the papers in each country and talked to people. I talked to a very high official or not official, but a very, I don't know how to explain it. Somebody that is well known in Israel as a commentator, put it that way, uh, about things. And um, it was very interesting. What did he say? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got off the ship through the authorized port and walked around Haifa, for example. But then I couldn't come back in. And they said that, no, no, you have to wait till a certain time. And then I said, well, I'll take a taxi. So I got a taxi cab driver thinking he could get into the port. And he was familiar with that. And he said he couldn't. But he said it was absurd because of the passenger. I don't want to give away two security deal if anybody's listening. But then he went to the security people and then they said you couldn't get back in. And then they said, you've got to walk two miles over to this other place. It was about 100 degrees. So I walked over to the other place and then there was nothing there. So then I kind of panicked because the, the boat was going to leave. So then I called the ship or one of the travel facilitators and they gave me an address over the phone. And then I went to another place that was a purported bus stop that would be authorized to go through Haifa port security. And that wasn't the place either. Now it's three hours I've been doing this. So then finally I saw a person I thought resembled somebody in the crew. So I asked her and she directed to me to what she thought was. And so I walked over there and then there were some few people there. So then I got back in, but the whole port was locked down. And then the next day or the day after the Israelis went into Janine and then you know, I watched CNN or the BBC and all of it was, was Jews are killing children, not 17 or 18 year old terrorists are killing Jews. So just being abroad, I think everybody should realize that if you don't have everybody faults Fox News. OK, I get it. But if you don't have that type of I know Sky News is, is, is OK, but if you don't have an alternative to the BBC or World CNN or these state medias in Europe, you're not going to get the truth about um, Israel, just not going to do it. Yeah. And so and so that was and then when you know, when you go to I went to Israel last year, and I've been there before. When you hear this Palestinian to the sea, and we're going to push the Jews into the sea, and this, this is not going to happen, I'm sorry. You look at that country, it's got over about 11 million people. And I would say that when I first went there in 2004 or three during the suicide bombing, it was a prosperous country, but it is nothing like it is now. It is nothing like it is now. It is booming. I've never seen anything like it, the, the levels of wealth. I walked around the Israeli cities and I, and I did that last year, even though I had long COVID pretty bad. but. I said to myself, where are the homeless? Is this like San Francisco? Is there smash and grab? Do I see people run out with shoplifting? If you go to a pharmacy, is everything behind bars? And this is supposedly a militarized state. And the answer is no, no, no. I think what Joe Biden and Gavin Newsom need to do is to call up a member, a high member of the Israeli government of either party and say, could you come over here? Uh, we're... 243 years old, this country, and you guys are, you know, just since what, 1947, 
but you have a lot better ideas than we do about drugs, about shooting people, murder in your streets of your own citizens, of homelessness, of excrement, shooting up. Could you please advise us what to do? Because we don't have a blank clue. Because that city, all of the cities are clean. And there was a lot more security there. I hadn't seen that much security. But and then when we left, of course, they went into Janine, which they hadn't been in. They had withdrawn for years. And they broke up a bomb-making factory and a terrorist plant. And they, you know, they went in all sides, surprise. They had elite troops. They accomplished the mission. And, of course, then the Palestinians relied on the narrative. And the narrative is always, if anybody gets killed for any reason by an Israeli, then it's an act of Israeli terror. And nobody seems to care when terrorists go out and deliberately shoot Israeli citizens. And they've shot almost 50 of them this year, killed them, stabbed them. No one yeah. says anything until Israel reacts. And by the way, there's another thing I think everybody should should ponder. Things are getting violent in the Middle East because the Biden administration has done what? The first thing they came in is they tried to renounced the Iran deal less. They tried to say, Donald Trump got out of the Iran deal. We're going to put Robert Malley. And by the way, that special envoy has been suspended. He's in suspended animation right now because our envoy to make a new Iran deal that, you know, John Kerry was Logan acting around during the Trump administration. He is now suspended for leaking classified information. Supposedly, and I think that would probably be something along the lines of letting some people look at it who shouldn't be looking at it. But in any yeah. case, they tried to renounce the whole Trump idea of getting out of the Iran deal. The Iran snubbed them. And then they restored the UN, US money that we route through the UN to Palestinian, many of whom are radicals. They made it know that they didn't approve of the Netanyahu government. And what happens? Anytime you push the United States away from Israel, then in that void, people get the message in Janine, for example, that, hey, the United States has sold you guys out. Sorry, we're going to start doing we're going to start doing what we always do. We're going to start killing Jews and you can't do anything about it because the United States supplies you with weapons and they're going to they're on our side now. Look at the Iran deal. They're begging Iran to get in the Iran deal. And look at the Saudis. They even, you know, they're they're done with the Abrams Accords, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you're going to see a lot more violence as long as this administration's in power. Yeah. And, and I, I don't get I don't get the left when I was a young person. And, oh, I think I was 14 in 1967. I followed as a young kid the the six day war. And it was very funny because. It was American Jews on the left, or at least the Democratic Party, that were very pro-Israel. And Republicans were sort of, let's not get involved. And today, without the Republican conservative movement, there would be no support at all for Israel because the left despises it. Yeah. Yeah. Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and then come back and we can talk about Greece and Turkey, which are an odd lot, if you really think about it, to have a cruise and to go to both the countries, which are so, or, or at least there's always a lot of tension between the two. But let's go for a break and we'll be right back. 
At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show, and we're turning now to talk a little bit about Greece and Turkey, unless you had anything else to finish off with, Jenin. Um, uh, no, Janine. No, Janine. Janine. no, nothing. No, no, it was just, uh, it's a garrison state. And yeah. Israel knows that if it does it, what it does is it has a magical number. So Palestinian goes in and about 100,000 Palestinians go through across the wall into Israel. So think of that for a second. It's not the, the attitude is not, OK, this was a historical disagreement, but we're in the seventh and eighth and, you know what I mean, decade. We're in a new century. So we're going to show you Jews. We've got the West Bank and we're going to outproduce you. So we're going to uh, survey the entire Arab Middle East and the oil company. And we're going to quid pro quo with the Kuwaitis and the Saudis and the Libyans. And we're going to get so much and the Emirates. We're going to get so much Arab oil money. And we're going to make a blank, blank bonanza here, a utopia. We're going to make Dubai right next to Israel. And we're yeah. going to show everybody what we can do. And they can. They're very bright people. Yeah. But that's not the agenda. The agenda is we're going to kill Jews and we're going to push them into the sea. And that's not going to happen. Yeah. And so they, 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 they understand that they don't have the power to do that. And they have 100,000 people who are going into the awful Israel, so, so to speak, sort of like we can talk about the immigration because the same time this was going on, there were furious riots in France. And the idea again is if I'm from Morocco or Tunisia or Algeria or Somalia or Chad and I immigrated to France and I didn't obtain parity because I was doing menial jobs. Yes, that's true. And the French majority population is prejudicial. Yes, that's true. That happens in majority tribal populations, every human nature being what it is. But therefore, I'm going to riot and destroy one billion dollars because I hate this place so much that what i don't want to go back home you know it's almost like you people colonized my country so in 1958 57 we threw you out 47 because we despised what you had done to my country in algeria and morocco okay and then but we had to come to your country <laughs> so i could understand human nature being what it is if their attitude was you colonized my country, and, and we won't get into whether colonization was a net plus or minus for the colonial powers, because there's a lot of scholarship that suggests they didn't really 
come off like bandits like everybody thought they did. But nevertheless, put that aside. But their attitude is, you colonized my country and you screwed it up. So I want to what go back to France and is that their attitude so I can screw your com- country up as payback that could be I mean that would be a bad thing but it's human nature right you could understand that yeah. but it's not it's not that it's I don't like my country in Algeria I don't like Chad I want to go to Europe because it's wealthier and it has more opportunity and it functions and there's a sewer system that works and there's medical care and there's food that's a, and I want to go there. But once I get there, I want to romanticize the country under no circumstances that I don't want to go back to. And I want to have now immediate complaints about the exploitation because I did not achieve parity, sort of like our illegal immigration. Yes, and I, and I I always go back to that incident. I know people are sick of it, hearing it, but I had a very bright student, and one day in 187 during that protest, remember a Prop 187 that was going to yeah. deny uh, state services for those who were here illegally, uh, which, by the way, passed overwhelmingly, and the Supreme Court, I mean the California Ninth uh, District was all prepared to throw it out before it even passed. And they threw it out in, I think, three days. So the people spoke and then they didn't speak. They were robbed of that voice. But nevertheless, uh, the student was burning, was in a protest of 187, burning the American flag. And they had a big Mexican flag. And I said, you know, I tutor you. Why in the hell are you waving the flag under no circumstances you want to go back to that country and you're burning the the flag of the country that you're angry that you might not be able to stay in. And he just said, it's irrational. I remember he said, it doesn't make sense. I agree. Well, that's the same thing. If you don't like France and you hate the colonialist and you feel you're victims of oppression, well, then go back to the utopia in North Africa. It's easy to do. It's not that far. But same thing with all of these European countries, I don't understand what they're doing. There's this huge influx of people from the south to the north, and there's got to be a rationale for it. Is it because the European socialist EU experiments failed and they're like H.G. Wells, Eloy, their fertility rates in some countries are 1.3. They're a bunch of old, decrepit white people that their their ancestors created this great system heroic people at verdun heroic people in the RAI. i don't know but it's very bizarre that a the europeans would welcome illegal aliens in and the millions unlike the people they despise in hungary or poland or the czech republic that don't have these problems because they're so-called not as sophisticated as western northern europeans but nonetheless they bring them in and then these people want parity. That's what the West tells them. And the left says, you know, here's the the rights of man. And you have right to fraternity. You just and egalitarianism. Oh, you just came and you're dirt poor and you don't know French and you have no skills. But our Constitution promised you fraternity. And so, yeah, you're, it's your fault, France. It's your fault, French people, that you didn't give these people parity immediately. So they're going to riot. And I know I'm simplifying it and there's exploitation and racism. I get that. But there was no reason to go to France if you don't like France. 
you know, yeah. unless, 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 and again, I'm getting back to that, unless your agenda is to take over France. If these people who are rioting are saying, you know what, they came and took over Algeria and we took them out, kicked them out. We hate them so much. We're now we're bringing the war home to them. And this is offensive and we're going to multiply and Islam is going to be the dominant religion and we're going to push them out of the country. It's going to be a reconquista in reverse. Okay. I don't approve it. I think that would be horrendous. But if that's their logic, I can understand human nature being pretty pathetic, but I don't think that's their logic. I think it's, I got to get out of Algeria because everything is a mess and I want to go to France because everything's good. But then I want to live in France like an Algerian and implicit in that rationale is there's got to be a lot of us in our community from Algeria or Morocco in France. So we have our own community, but But secretly, we don't want to be the majority if we don't assimilate and integrate and become Frenchmen. Because if we do, then we're going to turn it into what we left, right? So we want want 51% of the population to be French with antithetical civilizational ideas to the the ones that we brought from Algeria. Now, some of you say that is solely a liberal victor. That's race. It has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with culture. Yeah, like I said, you know, there's another anecdote I could simplify. I had another um, friend that I went to first grade with. And about 20 years ago, his son was playing on a team opposite my son. We were in about five Hispanic communities. One of them uh, was very, very poor. And it was 100 percent Hispanic, but mostly from illegal aliens that had a high crime rate. And I said, hey, Raul, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm just here. My son used to go to this high school. I said, well, what did you do? He said, well, he moved to another town. And I said, why? And he said, well, this this is more diverse, meaning it's not all Hispanic from Mexico unassimilated. And I said, well, why would you do that? He said, well, why do you think I left Mexico, Victor, when I was a kid? I don't want to recreate it here. And if this te- this school that my son is at becomes like that school, then I'm going to move to another school and another school and another school because I left Mexico because I did not want to live in Mexico. I like Mexican food. I like Mexican music. I like Mexican fashion. I like some attributes of Mexican society. But whatever I, the totality of Mexican culture is Mexico. And that didn't work for me. This country works for me. I thought that was pretty honest for him to tell me that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Victor, speaking of um, different places, <laughs> uh, Greece and Turkey on your visit are very different and antithetical places. And I guess Cyprus is the example of that. But what what reflections did you have on those two countries and such I had a, I had a sense sense of melancholy um because I, I love Greece I, I lived there almost three years at this uh, undergraduate a graduate and then I went back and forth probably been there 20 times or more gotta be careful about that Joe Biden said he'd been what to Afghanistan or something 71 times <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how many but I think it's been about 20 and 
Greece has 50,000 square miles. So once you get out of Athens, where about 40% of the population live, and when you count Thessaloniki, which is a beautiful city, you've got about 60% of that 50,000 square miles, and you've only got about 11 million people. So it's uninhabited. I don't mean that literally, but the people per square mile, especially when you get up to Thrace and areas. we got to remember how Greece was formed after that the revolution in the 1820s, 30s, 40s, as it started to be recognized as a successful nation. It didn't it wasn't Greece of today. It didn't get Crete until the 20th century uh, from the fall of the Ottomans. It didn't get a lot of northern Greece until the Greek and the Balkan Wars, 1910, 12, 13. It didn't get the Dodecanese islands really until the fall of the Mussolini government in World War II. So these were all naturally Greek, but they don't have the population in a very dangerous world to be secure in what is theirs. Is what it's kind of like Israel, although Israel's nuclear. So when you go to Turkey and it's a NATO country and you look at this city of Istanbul, it's as westernized. It's 15 million people. Istanbul is the largest city in Europe. It's four times larger than Athens. I mean, it's on all the shores of the Dardanelles, the Bosphorus, the Sea of Marmara, the Golden Horn. And it's Muslim now. I don't mean it wasn't before, but under the Ataturk legacy, the secular legacy, Hagia Sophia was a was a UN historical site. It's a mosque now. And there, he's Islamicizing in his third decade the whole country. And so just six months ago, he threatened Athens by saying one morning you're going to wake up and you don't know what's going to sort of like it was kind of a riff on Chuck Schumer to the Supreme Court. Remember that? Gorsuch, Kavanaugh. You sowed the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind, you're going to knock what's going to hit you. Well, that's what basically he said that only he he described yeah. a new is, uh, Turkish missile that he said would come into Athens. And he said that the islands in the Dodecanese and then uh, especially the triad of uh, Lesbos, Chios and Samos that are right near the Turkish coast will be Turkish. And he has overflight. So when you see this beautiful country of Greece. And I'm not criticizing Turkey. The coast of Turkey, which was ancient Greek Ionia, is uh, is very prosperous, unlike a lot of the interior. But it's, it's suffering a lot. It has a very high inflation rate. And I felt kind of bad because uh, when I went places, the Turkish tourist industry is, is really hurting. I don't know if it's a mixture of COVID. I don't know if it's... Uh, a reaction to Erdogan. I don't know if it's the economy. I don't know if it's the Ukraine war that's not too far away and its allegiance de facto with Russia or it's whatever it is. The hotel, I stayed at a very beautiful hotel and uh, it was empty. And they were very nice, though. I, I mean, I've always liked Turkish people. But when you go to Athens, it's just, gosh, it's just booming. If you go to I always swore ever since I went there in 1973, 50 years ago was the first time I ever went to Greece. I just turned 20, 19 and I turned 20 there. But I always swore I would never go to Santorini dash Thera in July. And I did this time. And it was <laughs> it was like Disneyland on the 4th of July in the old days. 
You couldn't even move. It was so crowded. But my point is Greece, supposedly the weak man of Europe, and it's got all these economic problems and it got German bankers that it hasn't paid. It was booming, booming, booming. And I went to a lot of my old haunts and it just went up to the top of the uh, Grand Britannia Hotel and had dinner and look at the Parthenon. It was something else. And I love Greece. I love the Greek people. It's just amazing culture. It really is when you... I had kind of a, a, again, a sense of Eeyore melancholy because I had just finished the end of everything and I had written this chapter on the fall of Constantinople. And I had just written and read in Byzantine Greek and some Italian uh, descriptions of what had happened the seven years following Black Tuesday, May 29th. 1453, when the Morea, that's the medieval term of Franks for the Peloponnese, but the, the Greek principate that was kind of divorced, it was part of the Byzantine Empire, but it was hard to connect physically given Turkish galleys and the Mediterranean and, uh, and the Aegean. But Mistras was a beautiful Byzantine city, and they tried to defend the Hexamillion, the, the six-mile fence pretty much where the Corinth Canal is today. And they were overrun by 100,000 Ottomans and a lot of people were wiped out. And then the Ottomans took over all of Greece and held it all the way until 1821. And so when you read that and you're writing about it and you're there in Greece and everything looks beautiful and the country is booming and they're they're such a a competent people. Another thing that struck me I got this irrational anger at Gavin Newsom. It, 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 <laughs> no, I did. I did. It's because, not irrational. Trust me, it's rational. <laughs> but I hope I, if any of you listeners are living in California, when you go to Greece, we have almost where I live on this farm has almost the same uh, latitude as Fremont, California. And it's we're in a Mediterranean climate. It looks the San Joaquin Valley and the foothills look like Greece. And Greece is a very... It doesn't have the advantages that we have. It's not a big country. It doesn't have oil and gas. It doesn't have coal like we do. It doesn't have any agriculture flat. I mean, there's nothing like the San Joaquin Valley, maybe a little bit in Thessaly, a little bit in uh, Messenia, maybe a little bit in Macedonia, but in Thebes, the Osha. But it doesn't have our natural resources. And when you look at the Greek roads, the national highway. I know that somebody's going to say, well, Victor, the Swiss bore those tunnels or the Germans did it or they have concessions or they get the toll for X number of years or they didn't do it for free or it was EU money that came in. I don't care. When you navigate around Greece, the roads are much nicer than Californians. And that was not true when I went in 1973. I remember leaving California in 1973 and driving down the 99 freeway and many parts were already six lanes and there was no traffic. I can remember the newly opened I-5. I would cruise around there at 70 miles an hour. It's not, you know, I I came home today. It's not getting behind, you know, a line of semi-trucks in the left lane. (laughs) And then you look at Greece in the 19, it took me six to seven hours to drive to Sparta in the old days. From Athens. It took three hours to get out of the city. It still it has a beltway now. It, it You can get from Athens to Corinth in less than an hour. You can get to Napoli on an hour and 45 minutes or less. 
with a new road. You can go all the way down to Mantinea and the big junction there in two hours. It's yeah. just a, it's just striking. So what did we do in California? What did they do right? They invested in roads and we invested in Medi-Cal. Basically, if you look at the budget, we went from 30 to 35 percent infrastructure, dams, aqueducts, highways, six or seven percent Medi-Cal to almost half the budget. And I, it, it's just a tragedy. And then we've got Stonehenge right seven miles from the farm. And on the way home, you know, I, we can't come down. It's been four years now. I can't drive down Mountain View Avenue because Stonehenge is there. And yeah. Stonehenge doesn't move. It just sits there like Stonehenge, this big overpass that's being slowly, you know, and then they have to wash the graffiti off. It's already old before it's new. And <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't work. They haven't laid one foot of functional track and they're up to 15 billion dollars. It's going to be a debacle if they had just said, you know what, let's hold off Stonehenge for 20 years until we're sophisticated enough how to build it. Or we'll have to go over and look at what Germans and Italians and French do and we'll copy them because we don't have that type of expertise anymore in high speed okay. rail. But in the meantime, we're still really good highway builders. So we're going to get all those guys that are 80 or 90 in the rest homes. And we're going to come back and say, can you come back here and tell us how to do it? You're like mice and ends and we're in the dark age and we need to know how to put a lion gate or a tholos tomb in. And we've forgotten how to do it. So could you do it? Just show us how. And here's the money. We want six lanes, 101, six lanes, I-5, six lanes, 95. And then we'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see that coming. Well, Victor, let's take our last break and then come back and talk a little bit about policy going on in America. I think there's some new uh, story on reparations for African-Americans. So stay with us and we'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back. Uh, you can find Victor on social media as well as his website. His handle at Twitter is VD Han at VD Hanson. And you can find him on Hanson's Morning Cup on Facebook. Um, so come join us. There's also the Victor Davis Hanson Fan Club, which is not affiliated with us, but they do a great job of posting things that Victor does and finding them from the archives as well. So it's a really great fan club to join. Um, Victor, they 
recently come out with something new on this reparations for African Americans. I think it is that black men should not have to pay for child support for some reason. It seems to me that would start to even erode more if it's possible, the family structure in the black community. But you think, think? Uh, well, first of all, I don't think a lot of people comply with uh, child support, but to the degree they do, the reparations, our California Reparations Commission has decided that that puts a hindrance on black people, black men, because they're they're supposedly having children and they're not around to give their time. And therefore, uh, they get fined because they didn't meet their obligations and therefore they can't get competitive work because they're either under court order or they're giving too much of their income. And of course, what's missing in this equation is one honest man saying, wait a minute, black people are as bright or brighter than anybody else. We don't need special consideration. Instead of worrying about the government excusing us from our legal responsibilities, let's not ever incur any legal encumbrance. Let's make sure that the black family's divorce rate is comparable to any other group. And to the degree it's not, let's work at it. You know, it's so tragic because, as I I keep saying, I I went to the Hoover Institution. I'm not just trying to patronize people, but I can tell you that there were some very brilliant people there. But the two most brilliant people I met, hands down, were Tom Sowell and Shelby Steele. And I would have lunch with Tom on a regular basis. And he just laid it all out. We didn't even talk about race very much. But there was always a sense of tragedy because he was trying to explain how brilliant the black community had been under real oppression. And they were sort of like the Greeks under Ottoman rule. They persevered, they endured. And the last thing they needed was Lyndon Johnson's Great Society program to come in and destroy that responsible ethos and say, we're going to take care of it. And remember what LBJ said, everybody, remember what he said. Because we have his tapes. He said on tape to a Democratic, I think it was a senator, he's, when they asked him about the Great Society, he said, we're going to have the N in word for the next 200 years voting Democratic. So he was not the great liberator or enlightenment. He was a cynical SOB who's an out-and-out abject racist. But my point is, when you read what Tom wrote on economics or you read what uh, Shelby wrote way back about teaching at San Jose State and grading papers. And it, it was, it's very tragic because all people had to do was just there. It was there. It was all outlined. This is what's happened. The government did it. We're a resilient group of people. We have it within ourselves to excel and we can do it. And then what was the reaction for all the people who were beneficiaries of the affirmative action and all these great society bureaucratic positions? Oh, you're you're a sellout. You're an Uncle Tom. Well, what the, the subtext of that was, yeah, we can do it. But why should I do it when they're giving it to me? And you are going to you're ruining that that pipeline of government funding. You're po- poking holes in it. So we're going to hate you. And so not only did they have the the wage of being a Cassandra of speaking the truth in the desert. So to mix metaphors with the new Testament voice crying out in the wilderness, but uh, 
people vilify them for that. It was, it's, it's just, it didn't make sense. Yeah. And yeah, who, and I, when I, when I say people, I mean people other than blacks, like white liberals. White liberals cannot stand brilliant conservatives because they have this sense of uh, patronizing. It's, they, you can feel it. It oozes out of them like oil. It's like, wait a minute. I am so liberal and I vote for all these programs with my tax dollars to give to you people. And, and, and you don't appreciate that. Now, after all, what do I do for you? What the subtext was, I don't want to be around black people. That's what they're thinking. So I give you all this money rather than I'm not going to give you any money any more than I give anybody else, but I'm going to work with you and integrate and assimilate and work in the inner city and try to get competitive schools and school choice and take on the teachers unions with you. None of that. They don't want to do that. No, so it's no, really would... tra it's really tragic. This reparations committee, because all they're doing is alienating people. So it's just, you know, we had the NBA woman star. And she said that this was a trashy country because it's you tell me what a multimillionaire uh, professional sports woman in a sport that is dominated by African-American women and not subject to disparate impact are, I don't know, proportional representation. Nobody has a problem with the women's, you know, National Basketball Association being predominantly black. Nobody cares. But if baseball doesn't have, you know, 70% black or 60% black, then all of a sudden it's racist and it's got to reach out. And that means, well, whites are underrepresented and blacks are underrepresented and Latinos are overrepresented and Asians are way underrepresented. But we don't, we have to worry about blacks being overrepresented again. It doesn't make any sense. No. And, and we don't, you know, we don't want Asians overrepresented at Harvard. But we want blacks overrepresented more than 13% of the American, the Major League Baseball. That doesn't make sense. And so we have this 4th of July. This got me. And there was another African-American singer who was singing. That, that went on viral about putting new lyrics into the uh, national anthem to show her rage at America. It's the same thing. It's. I don't get it when people, you know, Oprah's very, she gave a graduation speech and went off on the United States and racism. This all started with Obama. It really did. I mean, there was tension and anger from the 60s, but Obama mainstreamed it and institutionalized it. And remember what he was doing. He was a guy who grew up half black with a, his grandmother was a banker. And he went to prep school. I never went to prep school. He went to prep school. He went to Occidental and on a scholarship, he went to Columbia on a scholarship. He went to Harvard Law School on a scholarship. He got immediately in a tough job market, a job at University of Chicago. He didn't fulfill his book on contracts, of course. And then he's lecturing people about how he suffered and how people like him have suffered. And it mm. just it just gets at some point, it just the reparations when you watch those clips and some guy stands up, you owe me this and you owe me this and you owe me this and you owe me this. And then you turn on the TV and, you know, there's rioting in France and we have the George Floyd riots. And you want to say, you know what, 
we're six generations from some, anybody that had a slave in the South, and we're six generations from anybody who was a slave. And I, I challenge you to tell me whether your great, great, great grandfather was a slave and who that great, great, great grandfather was enslaved to. Please tell me that. They can't. And when you get into slavery, one of the weird things is I've been reading a lot about Turkish history, Constantinople, the Ottoman Empire, about 20 million people, they think, were enslaved. Uh, and these were Europeans by the Ottoman. When they, when they swept into Greece and they swept into the southern Balkans and then the northern Balkans, and then they got all the way up to Austria and they... Uh, they swept into North Africa. There were a lot of people who had been Roman there who were Italian and other people that were not today's Arabs. They were either indigenous people or they were Europeans that were living there. They enslaved them all. And so nobody said, today says, oh, I hold Mr. Erdogan's government culpable because he said the other day that he feels that he is the continuance of the Ottoman Empire, which except for the Arab Caliphate and Arab nations was the biggest enslaver in the history of civilization. And I don't know, there's an argument whether 14, 11 million people were shipped out of Africa to the Middle East versus the 10 to 11 in the New World. A lot of people have made the argument there was more shipped to the Middle East, but I can guarantee you that you're never going to get an apology out of the Saudi government. You're not going to get an apology out of the Egyptian government. You're not going to get an apology out of Jordan. You're not going to get a, an apology out of Hamas. And you're not going to get an apology out of the Palestinian Authority of having slavery uh, institutionalized in their culture. And yeah, they still do it today, basically. Yeah, I mean, they call it human trafficking, but it's the same slave, thing. There's slaves yeah. in Africa. There's millions of people who are indentured servants in Africa. The yeah. word slave comes from Slav. It was the idea of the Ottoman. The Ottomans went up and down. The Barbary pirates, the Ottomans, officially, they went up and down the coast of North Africa. They went to the southern coast of Europe. They went all the way. They got near Venice. And what did they do? They went up and down Dalmatia. They raided. They destroyed Christian villages. They kidnapped people. They took people that were old and killed them. They put people who were able-bodied. They made them slaves. Good-looking boys, they castrated them for the various regional harems. Good-looking girls, they used them in the harem. That's just a fact. Nobody yeah. today is holding Turkey responsible for that. I'm not even getting into the 1.5 million uh, Turks, I mean, Armenians that the Turks killed. I'm not even getting into uh, the Greeks that were set on fire at Smyrna and the, the one million people that were pushed into the sea, basically, with the failure of the great idea. Don't even get into that. But I tell you, the Turkish government doesn't care. It doesn't apologize to anybody. Yeah. When, when Barack yeah. Obama and his apology tour went over there and he started apologizing for us in front of Erdogan, you know, that was pretty humiliating. Yeah, the greatest the greatest history of enslavement in the world, and he's over there apologizing for us, and that made me cringe. But anyway, it, it there's a lot of historical ignorance, and the problem with all of this historical revisionism is that once you start looking and fixating on the past, and you do it for contemporary political, economic, social advantage, then 
it's over with. All you do is regurgitate and vomit out the past. You don't look at the present. You don't look at the future. You blame all of your woes. What it is, is the collective. It's it's the collectivization of the therapeutic mind. So in the 60s, we had, you know, the young man who gets his PhD or his JD, his MD, his parents sacrifice. He's a doctor. He's a lawyer. He starts in and he doesn't do well. He takes coke. He gets divorced. He's 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 a failure at 40. And what does he do? He goes to analysis and say his dad was mean to him one day. Or he said his mom didn't give him enough love. And it's all their fault. That 60s blame your parents, hate your parents. And that's that on the individual level has been reified collectively with this. I don't I'm not happy with my life because my ancestors were not treated well by your ancestors rather than life is tragic. History is tragic. Everybody's got uh, struggles. Persons, yeah. A person who was enslaved or indentured. Get over it get on with your own life be productive yeah but it'll it'll never work if you keep doing this it'll never work because human nature is as Thucydides says it's constant and it interprets certain types of magnanimity as weakness to be exploited not to be reciprocated in kind yeah and you don't see anybody in those reparations saying well wait a minute I object to reparations because the Great Society was founded by the Democratic Party to help African Americans. And there's been $20 trillion, $20 trillion transferred to African American communities and Great Society programs since their inauguration in 1964 and 1965. And we've had now, we've had 60 years of affirmative action and millions of African Americans who didn't qualify for GPA or SAT were given an opportunity because of systemic racism. And we we think that was so good to allow that to happen. No, you nothing of that, nothing. It's worse now than it ever was, you have to be told, to perpetuate, which is mostly an elite phenomenon. All these reparation people, I was listening to that commission on the radio, the te- television today, None of them are talking about the bloodbath on a Friday or Saturday night in Chicago or Baltimore or Memphis or Los Angeles or why that happens or what they can do about it. None, none, zero, zilch. Or not why 70% of African-American males do not stay with a family that they created way higher than other particular ethnic groups or racial groups. Why don't they just say, you know what? We're going to try to get that down to comparable levels with other groups. And we're going to try to make sure that at least one person in some of the Chicago schools is reading at normal grade level rates because there's none in some school district. And once we do that, we're going to come back to you and say, we still haven't achieved parity. And it's because of systemic racism. But if you're not going to do that first because you say you can't, because you're imbued with racism everywhere. You can't see it, but it's systemic. It's like air. We know it's there, but only, you know, DEI investigators have the proper tools that can calibrate it in the air. <laughs> it's what it is. That's I, I understand. Yes, it is. It's like, like I, 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 my daughter it, said, there's a leaky gas at the house. And I said, can you smell? I think I can smell it. Well, let's get an expert in. So an expert came in with his what dials and 
Monitor, yeah, monitors sure. and said, no, there wasn't actually. Well, that's what the DEI person is. You can't see the racism. You don't have evidence of it, but it's systemic and it's in there. And I have the little dials and devices and I'm trained to find out and to accuse people of it. That's what that's the whole premise of it. That is. That's and why it can we be have it anywhere, right? You can. Turn well, you have. To, yeah, you have to have adjectives. You have to have adjectives. If you don't, if you don't have the word systemic or you don't have micro, then you don't have an aggression. And you don't have yeah. racism. Yeah. You've always got a diminutive adjective it's a, yeah. or it's an insidious adjective. So I think people like I keep saying that I think of people are it goes nowhere. It's an intellectual dead end, political yeah, dead is. end. And so people are finally all of this is starting to come to a perfect storm. Dolvin Declan, excuse me. What's his name? Mulvaney's first name. Oh, Dylan. Dylan. <laughs> Dylan Mulvaney. Yeah. Dylan Mulvaney, Target, Los Angeles Dodgers, another losing Disney PC movie, uh, Disney transgendered agenda. You name it. It's just, it's like the Biden whole thing. People are getting sick of all of it. Like yeah, they're threatening to bud Budweiser Ben and Jerry's because Ben and Jerry's said that America is built on nothing but stolen land recently yeah, for the they, 4th of July. They, they want to get some. And they want they want to get back Rush Mount Rushmore. Ben and Jerry's had an ice cream. It was a neighborhood phenomenon. It went viral. They were I guess they they had funny names. I don't like the ice cream, but they sold out for over a billion dollars to a big company, and now they they had in their contract they get to mouth off and still be billionaire leftist, right? Yeah. So we want to get all this money. So we we made this product. It's great. People like it. You can have the name. Give me a billion dollars, but I have to be able to mouth off like I'm still a leftist. But I want the money, and so yeah. that that's what they do and give back. Hey Ben, hey Jerry, why don't I agree with you? This was indigenous land, one person on average for every 200 miles. Why don't you give them all of your homes first? Just call up the nearest indigenous tribe and say, you know what? I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Take my home. They never do that. No, never, they sure never, don't. They never do that. That's not the end of it all. Well, Victor, we're at the end of the show, and I have two comments from your readers since I forgot to ask you for the positive thing. We'll get the positive thing here at the end. One yes. of them is titled My Secret Life with VDH, and this is by KK The Night Away. And she writes, I realized I was quoting Victor a little too often when a woman in my neighborhood asked me if my husband got upset about me spending so much time with this Victor person. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so that was a interesting one. And then we have from Mike Wilford. He says, more Jack. Great podcast. I, of course, enjoy hearing Victor's view of issues. I also enjoy Jack's input and would be happy to hear more. So for the, the great Jack Fowler, nice plug there. I yeah, Jack has uh, very knowledgeable. Everybody should realize that he's very, very knowledgeable about politics. And he doesn't. Yes, he doesn't talk about that. But I met Jack in 2001, right after. I was asked to, uh, you know, I think everybody knows that story. Um, I, I wrote guest columns. I wasn't a regular columnist until I think Rich Lowry called me up five hours after 
and said, would you write a column for us? We'll see how you, you do. And I said, okay, but why? And he said, well, Ann Coulter wrote one about nuking Mecca and converting everybody to Christianity. We can't run it. She's mad at us. So she resigned. We have an open slot. And it's, by the way, Victor, it's $50. And you can do it twice a week. So I, I made $100 a week. I couldn't believe it for, you know, 3,000 words. At that time, boy. It's amazing. I, that was yeah, good. Huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was able to help my son at college. But, well, not too much at $50 a column. But my point is that's when I met Jack Fowler. Yeah. And... We had a good relationship of Eeyore versus it's not that bad, Victor. <laughs> and we, well, we went, and we went through the whole iterations of the Never Trump phenomenon at National Review. I think that yeah. made us even closer friends. But anyway, he knows a lot and I enjoy all of his insights on politics. We talk yeah, about he's... three or four times a week with nothing to do with the podcast, just other stuff. Yeah, he's doing a great job of American phil philanthropic, I believe, yeah, he, is who he works with. And he's doing a great job for you on the podcast, too. He is. He is. And so I appreciate that comment. And we'll try to get more of Jack in. And <laughs> All right. Right news. Good news. Uh, well, I, as I said, I think it's 19 days from when I left my home. I came back. And the people who were here did a wonderful job house sitting. I'll just give his first name, Matt. And it looks beautiful. The dogs seem not as nostalgic for me as I thought they'd be because they probably <laughs> like Matt better than me. But they were are fine. The yard is in good shape. I My truck, by the way, I have a, as I said, a 1,500 gram D, Echo Diesel, Turbo Diesel can Pull 12,000 pounds. Torque is amazing. No, no, no. I hear the uh, words of my father. Don't ever pull anything with a six cylinder. Don't matter what they say. So my son heroically pulled it up. Seven, Only 7,000 pound trailer. It blew the turbo. It's been sitting in the garage for six weeks because Chrysler Corporation can't service the or can't supply parts for the product, which I still owe money on. I said last time it was like a, a a pacemaker. You know, you you we have a recall on that defective pacemaker. You got to get out. It's going to kill you. But we don't have the part, <laughs> <laughs> and we can put a new one in that'll kill you later on. But you would void the warranty, so we're not going to do that either. So and you just, can still drive it now, but it's a little bit dangerous. It has no turbo, and and so <laughs> the whole idea just to finish quickly is that we're not making v8s anymore i think the toyota tundra doesn't even make a v8 and we've got a new principle that we're making these high compression v6 engines that instead of getting 16 on the freeway they get 22 to 25 in the case of diesel they get 30 and then when you need to pull something like a truck because they are half ton trucks uh they go into turbo mode sort of like I don't know, Road Warrior, we used to see the compress, you know, they compress air and fuel at a higher rate and they boost the RPM and the, um, the torque and the horsepower. And that allows you to have the power of a V8 with the economy of the six, but it doesn't, you still got a six cylinder. And so when you're using that turbo and you're going uphill, 
even if you're not pulling the 12,000 that it's rated at, but only half that, it's it's not reliable. So what am I happy about? Happy is I made about five phone calls today and some polite, some angry. They say the turbo after six weeks has arrived. So I'm going to take my brand new dog face line pony truck and I'm going to take it in and get it fixed. And then I'm <laughs> never, ever, ever going to pull anything with it ever again. Chrysler, you did not tell us the truth. And then when I get my recall for the fuel pump that is liable to blow up at any time because it's defective, a Bosch German part, but they don't have it, I'm going to pray that they have it. And then when I get my new fuel pump, I will not have another landmine in the truck. And so... Yeah. I'm happy that I'm making progress. I'm making, happy is as happy does. Victor. Yes, yes. I'm happy that I'm, I actually at six weeks get a truck for which I'm paying every month interest on. No, I, not very much interest. It was a good deal, but it's a beautiful truck and it gets 30 miles. I drive it to work, 31 miles a gallon diesel. Yeah. Yeah. But just don't, if you have one, don't believe what they tell you. Do not pull anything with it, especially uphill. It yes. doesn't, it doesn't pull 12,000 pounds. I'll be surprised yeah. if it pulls a thousand pounds uphill. Yeah, that sounds like the moral of the story. Well, That's Victor, thank you. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners, too. Yes. Thank you, everybody. All right. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hansen. We're signing off. We'll see you next time. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.